And here hey, we are. For it. I'm good. Here we are with Senor Lenjois. So, off the bat, before we get stuck in, should I give my Nando's order now or <laughs> what do you want to do? <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew that was the first thing you were going to say. I knew it. Um, yeah, yeah, we'll get the Nando's store. <laughs> Don't you worry. You know, a day of tattooing and then we'll have a big Nando's afterwards. I know. I lost. I lost. There's an I, element uh, of. I have to pay double for <laughs> Oh. There is an element uh, of I, I should talk about it. Go. I I have to pay double for my vegan pizza um, from the vegan pizza company now, um, and I also didn't get my bet from Labrooks coming. So yes, I know I lost all the bets I made. I shouldn't score on the man who's going to tattoo me. <laughs> it's just kind of the sort of <laughs> it's just sort of a huge point with this thing. Yeah, you know, oh, you, don't worry about too much. Just you know, get, we'll get it sorted. Maybe you know, it's fine. I won't rub it in. It's fine. After it's done, you know, I ain't gonna let you hear the end of it. It's fine, permanent. <laughs> nice, gen- nice, gentle area as well, eh? The shin. Oh, love it. Can't wait. Um, so I've just stopped crying after Khabib, you know, breaking down in tears. So my Obviously. heart is almost repaired. Um, yeah. So where do we want to go with this card? Um, tell you what, let's go, let's tease the audience a little bit. Let's go from the prelims up. So, okay, cool. After an, a recap this morning. I forgot how amazing these fights were. Now, yeah. have you? Did you catch all the prelims and the early prelims? I, I've caught. Yes, yeah. yeah. In fact, I've caught up today on the two early prelims that I missed. So I've now pretty much watched them all. So yeah, I'm I'm good to go. Fantastic. Um, so I always butcher her name. Uh, she's my Georgian queen, man. She's unreal. Liliana Jojua's name is, and um, Miranda Maverick. Now, yes. Oh, Jujua, she, I can't say her name, but we'll go with that. She was an absolute savage in her last fight. I believe she got like an armbar, like pretty sharpish. She was in the Fight Island, so it wasn't too long yep. ago. And this one ended in a cut. So yes. cut stoppages are always a bit of a... Mm, yeah, again. It, it depends on where you really want to draw the line again. Because obviously fire safety is going to be paramount. But again, you get scales to things. It's a bit of a questionable one. And again, you sort of have to sort of take it the pinch of salt. I didn't quite catch the fight before. Did you see um, Joel Alvarez and um, Alexander Yakolev? Yep, I caught bits of it. Um, I, I, it was a fairly quick fight. I think like two and a half to three minutes. Um, and, you know, fairly even on the feet. I think Alvarez was landing one or two better shots. Um, and it's, it's kind of like the, it's like the, the grappler versus wrestler um, sort of thing. Um, and you, I'm going to butcher his name, Yokolev. Yok, uh, yeah, shot him for a takedown um, and got caught in quite a, a tight guillotine. Um, he was in that for a while, managed to pop his head out, and then um, Alvarez switched straight to an armbar and, um, and got him. Yeah, so there wasn't much to the fight, but it was uh, quite explosive while it, while it was happening. Amazing. Not a bad fight at all. And the prelims themselves. Now, these were really interesting. So I'm getting a lot more partial to watching Southpaw Orthodox fights. Because, again, it's always yes. interesting in regards to styles because that extra bit of distance always makes it that more of a, I don't know, really interesting sort of strategy game. Now, light yep. heavyweights, this fight I was really excited about. So during that, and I'm going to butcher his name so bad, and Sam Alvey. So there's a lot of topics in this one to sort of go into a little bit. So, again, Sam Alvey, he's a very smiley, very sort of happy person, even in there as well. Yeah. And it kind of makes you wonder where that sort of tone should be in a sense. Like, again, there's element of, you know, there to fight regardless. So your attitude's kind of irrelevant. But there's also, you need to fight, it seems to be sort of switched on. And again, the sort of concepts of when you take a shot and you smile, they know you've been hurt. You're just trying to, that's like a key kind of like, you know, 
oh, he's trying to pretend he's not hurt kind of thing. So again, regards of like bravado and the sort of facing the self, that's an interesting top. I don't know. I think it's case by case. But also interesting about Sam Alvey, he has his wife in the corner. Now, where do you stand yeah. when it comes to relationships in, in the sort of sport and sort of fight world? Like, could you watch your partner, get old Leona, get the gloves on, put the four ounces on, and, you know, call it that? <laughs> would you sit in the corner and like give her solid advice? Or would you have your heart in your sleeve? How would you sort of cope with that sort of scenario? Um, well, if, if I was her coach um, as well as her partner, then yes, I'd be able to find in the corner because obviously you're coaching, you want to you want to be able to give the best advice you can. And um, it was quite interesting that DC actually mentioned it um, about his girlfriend being in the corner, well, his wife, sorry, being in the corner. Um, and she gives really good advice. So mm. she does know her stuff. See, that's the difference. It's, it, is it, do we do the um, uh, uh, Mike Perry situation where she has not got a fucking clue what she's looking at, let alone talking about in the corner? Um, so you've got Mike Perry with his girlfriend in the corner that knows absolutely nothing. And then you've got somebody like Sam Alvey, who's got his wife in the corner, who actually does know, um, you know, and she was giving him good advice in between the rounds. So, I, yeah, I don't see a problem with it at all. Um, you know, there's a lot of female fighters that, you know, have male coaches and, and um, partners that are coaches and, you know, other fighters and stuff like that. So they're always going to get good advice. So, yeah, in, in that instance, I don't mind at all. I mean, if it was... If it was me, and like you said, Leone was uh, was fighting and, and I was coaching, then yeah, it's fine. You know, you, you kind of have to separate the, the difference between, you know, this is relationship sort of time and this is coaching time. So, yeah, as long as you can separate that, I don't see a problem with it. Well, definitely. It's 100% down to the individual and how you sort of have that kind of that divide as such. Because, again, it's, I don't know, you have that sort of understanding. Let's say you're a friend fighting. The emotional side of it, other than seeing them getting hurt and stopped, you sort of know, okay, you're fine, take that and do this, that, and the other. You sort of have a, I don't know, compartmentalize it to an extent. Yeah. And I mean, you can slate Mike Perry's girlfriend all you want. She's 100% success rate in the corner. So, you know, say what you want to say. <laughs> She's got better percentage than um, Greg Jackson. So, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess there is that. Yeah. This is it. So, again, with um, Sam, I'll go with that fight itself there. So, Sam Alvey and um, Jung Down. So, this came and ended in a draw. No, I absolutely love that because, again, they both had absolutely amazing moments. And yep. a few bits of um, controversy. So DC described it as a rake instead of an eye poke as such. Because, again, you're sort of pouring out and going down to sort of get the eye, which is a bit of a, I don't know, again, the ref didn't intervene at all. And it's a bit of a, okay, he's definitely compromised. He's sort of closing his eyes, turning away. But, again, it's interesting how Sam, being a veteran he is, didn't completely shell up and then you know, make a big meal of it trying to get the intervention. Again, trying to recover from there. So that in itself always gives a bit of a caveat. But again, these sort of, I don't know, what the real point of this fight I wanted to get into is the whole cage control and sort of positioning hierarchy. So where Sam was most against, this, most against the fence, so whether it's to sort of counter punch to invite certain pressure in, regardless, on the scorecards, I can't help but feel that would give him, you know how we say the floor is lava and the wall is lava? The longer you spend there, you're losing yep. control time. I would say the same as having your back near the fence. Again, you'll sort of look like you're in a weaker position. Like, where do you sit on that sort of side of it? Side of the fence, there we are. We have that. Um, no, I agree with you. I, it, it plays into how, what, how the judges see it, I guess. Um, you know, generally, if your back's against the fence and you're the one sort of like towards the centre of the octagon, and you're pushing forward, you're you're controlling the cage. So you've got that cage control. You've got 
I guess you're pushing forward, so you've got the aggression. So, you know, when it comes down to scoring criteria, I guess technically you would be winning the round depending on what happens. Um, but then again, it just depends on your style of fighting. Sam Alvey is quite happy to sit with his back on the fence. You know, he, you know, he takes one or two shots on the arms and then he fires back. Um, and that works really well for Sam. That's just the way he fights. If you watch most of his fights, he's always on the back foot. He never really pushes forwards except for, you know, a quick burst forwards and then sort of, you know, pops himself backwards towards the fence again. So, again, yeah, I think the judges need to... I think when you're judging as well, you kind of need to sort of be able to recognise that sort of style of fighting because you could think that, you know, just because his back's against the fence, he's losing the round. But he's not. It's just his style of fighting. So it really depends on how, how you view that. Um, what do you think to that? So this asks another interesting question. Do you feel that the judges should have a background on the fighters themselves or go into completely neutral without any kind of, not even a bias, but sort of research? So they see it objectively as, okay, this fighter, regardless of his previous experience, right now his back is near the fence. Because regardless of what they're used to, where he's come back from adversity, this, that, and the other, do you feel it's the, re- the judge's responsibility to know that or just see it objectively? Um, again, that, that's an amazing question. And it's a tough one because, you know, as a judge, you can't know every single fighter that that's going to be in front of you that day. So I guess you would need to go into each fight with an open mind. But once, but being a judge, you should be able to sort of pick how their styles are within the 30 seconds to a minute. You can see what their game plan kind of is. You see that Sam Alvey, he steps backwards. He's not very often he steps forward unless he's thrown, you know, a three, four punch combo. And then even when he does that, he's in the center of the cage and he's kind of like, okay, cool. Step back, step back, step back. He's on the fence. And then that's where he sort of plays his game. So you can kind of see that that's his style of fighting. So as a judge, you should be able to recognize that and then not penalize him for stepping backwards. Um, So that just goes into you know, being a better quality judge is knowing the different styles of fight that the fighters have. I mean, that in itself is an even more interesting point to see how the fight develops. Because again, as I said at the start, an issue is more of an objective point of view. Okay, this is just matter of fact. Right now, regardless of a background history, this fight is in a negative position, therefore they're losing. But that sort of follow-up point there is even yeah. more interesting that as the fight progresses, okay, you see how this has then developed that style. And then say if they did this in round one and then came back, if they're in the same position in round two, round three, is that scored the same way? So again, it becomes this whole sort of, I don't know, not conflicting kind of conversation, but again, these different sort of points. So again, for my sort of brief conclusion on this is more a sense of objectively, it's a negative position. And I feel unless you're confident the judges are going to see the follow-up, I feel you're going to be in a deficit unless you can then actively show a lot of progression from there. Um, next fight, yeah. Condolences to you, my friend. Good old Cowboys. Um, it wasn't his first rodeo, but you know, it wasn't his best one. So, nope. Shavak. Oh, no. Here no. we go. Here we go. Let's have some. Things just closed. Like, Shavak, Raknarov. I think that's how we say it. We're going to run with that. Go call him yeah. Big Shack. Bad that's not bad. Shavak, Raknarov. Here we are. So, again. What really impressed me with this finish from this, there was a few nice little exchanges. Again, um, I think was it, uh, Cowboy got caught with a really solid knee to the body. 
and taking quite a few really yes. fast paced shots. And the speed of this fight was crazy. It's absolute mental pace and then still coming back, still firing back, still coming off, being very proactive. Um, some really nice cl- clinch exchanges in the cage. And the finish, an arm in guillotine. Now, as much as you're seeing a lot more of these recently, they're still not that easy to finish. Like Armin, and again, everyone's always got the follow-up. But this is our, it's one of those things, mistakes everyone always makes, it's that and the other. But reoccurring, it's still a hard position to finish. Like if you get a solid bite, happy days, but yep. still, it's not a very, it's more defendable than a standard guillotine. So as soon as, um, you know, Shat yep. <laughs> clinched up and jumped for it, you've, you don't really tell still. Again, you don't really know the pressure of it, but again, had it dead to rights, and Cowboy got it. Now, interestingly, in the build-up in this fight, you hear about the weight cut. Now, are you up to date with the status of Cowboy's weight cut? Yes, I know that he missed weight. Um, I'm not sure how much he missed weight, but I'm sure it was two or three pounds. Is that right? So he weighed 173 pounds. But what DC was saying was quite concerning, is that when the weigh-ins, say for arbitrary numbers-wise, the weigh-ins at 10, he said at 8 o'clock, I can't do this. And he sort of said, you know, I'm going to be over okay. by three pounds. He didn't, he didn't he stop trying at that point to try and get a head start and rehydrating. So okay. alarm bells. So at this point, anyway, so the body shot recovering from there is a bit of an interesting sort of scenario. Yeah. Now, so put yourself in that. You might have had a similar experience with this where you knew you wouldn't be able to make the weight. What is, what is the reference point from there onwards? So again, you've got the, the fight the day after. You're about to weigh in and you're going to be heavy because you can't make it, your body's that depleted. At what point do you say, do you know what? I'm on the cusp of death. Can I squeeze the last bit out to make this weight? Or do I say, okay, I cut my losses and obviously my earnings? Like, I don't know how you... What reference point would you have at this point? Like, Have you had it before in yourself when you've had to like, I don't know, compromise and say I'm going to be over, under, overweight, sorry, and then have to sort of buy the bullet as such? So I've only ever missed weight on one fight. And that was versus Joe Ari over in Wales. Uh, my problem was I couldn't get the bath water hot enough to do a bath to try and sweat out a little bit. And by the time I went to the sauna, we just kind of ran out of time. And also, I didn't get given the extra time that you you, you meant to get as well. So it was just you know a few different things happened, um, and I missed weight by maybe a pound or maybe two. I can't actually remember. It was so long ago now. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's an awkward one of like you say. Um, at eight o'clock in the morning, if he thinks, well, if he, if he knows he can't make the weight and he's, he's already sort of like struggling at that point and he's, you know, three pounds is, well, it was what, one was 173. So as much as you can fight 171, yeah, it's just so, three pounds over the agreed amount. So see, see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so a couple of pounds over. Um, yeah, it's a tough one. It's, it's, I mean, <sighs> As a professional, you always need to try and force yourself to make that weight. Um, but if you're fully depleted at 8 o'clock in the morning and the weigh-ins are at 10, then again, there's... N- I don't know. It just it depends. I mean, it's a tough one. I don't know because for me personally, I would be trying to force myself to make the weight. Mm. I, always, I never ever wanted to not make weight and it happened once. Um, and you know, if I was given the extra time, which I should have been allowed, I, I actually think I would have been able to make the weight because it was only a couple of pounds. I was still getting warm in the sauna. I wasn't fully 100% depleted at that point. I was struggling, um, but I wasn't 
100% depleted. So I think I think if I had the extra, you know, one hour allowance or however long it is, I think I would have been able to make it. I just kind of ran out of time and then we kind of had a little bit of a mix up with the, the official time of weighing in and stuff. Um, so eight o'clock in the morning, I don't know if he should be saying I can't make the weight because he still has two hours to, 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 for the official time. And then obviously he's got another hour after that. You know, even if he had an hour just lying there, relaxing, chilling, not doing anything, not trying to cut weight, let his body kind of, you know, not obviously rehydrate because he's not going to drink anything, mm. but let his body kind of calm down a little bit, um, cool down a little bit, kind of zero out a little bit, then maybe he gets that extra hour or maybe the extra two hours where he could have made the weight. So I think maybe at eight o'clock in the morning, he's kind of cutting himself short a little bit. Um, of, of of saying that he can't make the weight at eight o'clock in the morning, whereas you know he, he should be forcing himself to make it once he's kind of relaxed a little bit and chilled. Maybe I don't know. That's just that's just me. I always like I say, I always wanted to be the professional. I always wanted to make the weight. Um, it's what I always told all my teammates, and, and you know, we make the weight. That's that's what we do. You know, you don't take a fight that you can't make weight for. And again, this is sort of my point with this and again I can be quite tyrannical in the sense of it's embarrassing it's horrible not making weight it's unprofessional all these things all the sort of names under the sun but again this is on a sort of general rule of thumb base many for myself than it is anyone else because we can say all this but again we don't know the ins and outs of Cowboys cut and again it's a bit like you you got to give them the yep. sort of there's probably a reason behind something we're not aware of but again it was an interesting sort of scenario more the sort of follow up from there now moving on to the fight of the year now, this is a really, really interesting fight. And I've been having an eye about this, whether or not it would have been better suited as a lower-profile card to really stand out more, or the fact it was on this really high-profile card on UK time as well. That is the best opportunity for both of them to really sort of show themselves. So, a bit of um, brief sort of... So, Nathaniel Wood versus Casey Kenny. So, anyone who isn't aware of this fight, so Nathaniel Wood, he's the prospect. He trains under Brad Pickett. Cage was phenomenal. Literally, Cage Warriors released their like, top 10 fights of collectively of ever. And he's number one <coughs> against Josh Reed. Unbelievable. It was on the Sport Bible. Again, he's just absolute. <laughs> he swings. He's everything you want from a fighter. And Casey Kenny, him and himself, he's incredible. And his fight against Haley Tang, which is fucking horrible. So this is one we spoke about the other day. This was, I think it was a Fight Island card. Which one was this one? It was the home, Holly Home Aldana card. And it's Haley Tang. Yep. What this was, which is body shots, body shots, body shots, body shots, leg kicks, leg kicks. Again, welts on um, Haley's fucking ribs. Disgusting. But just constant pace. So again, what do you get when you get two unstoppable forces? I didn't say an immovable object. I said two unstoppable forces. These guys, bantamweight pace, just nonstop. And as much as there's a British buyer saying, oh, it shouldn't have been Casey's fight. It should have been Nathaniel's. Oh, I wasn't unanimous this and the other. When it's a game of inches... And again, a dominant last round when it came to the back control. I didn't. Yeah, I wouldn't. Have, I wouldn't have been mad with a draw, but I wasn't overly surprised to see Casey stole it with that. And even Nathaniel, you can see he was disappointed. He thought he did enough, but he rightly said, very maturely, very responsibly, you should never leave it to the judges. And that's kind of, I think, that real take home from that. As much as they're both going for the finish. Is that bit of fight IQ for um, Casey just to really sort of secure his settlements? <laughs> Even the coach made an interesting point. That two minute, oh, that was a different fight actually. Oh, was that fight? I think it was this fight. Yeah, two minutes. We're going to say two minutes, and you shoot for your takedown, you attack a takedown. 
that yeah, kind of like the- last sort of push to make sure you're getting that exclamation mark. Like, what are your thoughts on the fight in regards of results? So I think this fight relates back to the first fight we were talking about, the Sam Alvey one. Um, I just think that, I think really close, like you say, you know, it could have gone either way. Um, I, I know people obviously on the internet were saying, you know, Nathaniel Wood got robbed and, and you know, he should have won the fight and stuff like that. But no, it was, it was such a close fight. They were both landing great shots, going back and forward with, with, with the landing and the shots. And then like you said, Casey Kenny, he definitely stole the last round. Um, you know, with the takedown, the back control and stuff like that. And it's perfect what you said with the, the coaching. You know, when we shout two-minute mark, you, you go for the takedown. You try and win that last round, which is perfect. Great coaching as well. Um, but I think it relays back to back to the, the, the way the judging was with the Sam Alvey fight and stuff like that and how we were talking about the judging. Um, I just feel that Nathaniel Wood was on the back foot a little bit too much. Um, in the regards of having his back towards the fence and Casey Kenny was the one pushing forwards. I think that was maybe what split the judges' decisions. You know, Nathaniel would actually outstruck him, I, I think, in the first two rounds, which is why people are saying that, you know, he should have won the first two rounds and then obviously, you know, lot might have lost the, the last round with the takedown um, because of the out, because he outstruck him. But if you're outstriking as a counter-striker and not landing the... You know, they're both landing significant strikes quite even, but he outstruck him slightly on, on the, the amount of strikes he was throwing. But if you're towards the back of the fence and Casey Kenny's the one pushing forward, he's the one in the judge's eyes who's um, got the, aggressi- the aggression in the fight. He's the aggressor. And, you know, he's got the cage control because he's controlling the centre of the cage where people say this is where you need to fight, which is the centre. Um, and I think that's just where, where the split was with the first two rounds. Uh, both again like you said it was an amazing fight great pace DC was sweating I think watching it on the commentary um, saying how much of a, a fast pace that was you just don't see heavyweights you know fight like that which you don't Bannon weights are the only ones sort of Bannon weights and the lighter weights are, are going to go at that pace um, and, I, and again even with the loss I don't think Nathaniel would stock um, drops with this one little bit because it's such a great fight such a close fight and, you know, the powers that be will see that, you know, he could have possibly won that fight. You know, it was that close. So, uh, and, and given such a great performance, I don't think his stock um, drops at all. So, it was a great fight for both. It's interesting you mentioned about the stock as well, because this is a topic I was thinking about watching this at the end of it, as to where sort of Thaniel goes from here. Because, again, he's had the stoppage loss to Dodson, and he's had this as well. Other than that, he's been pretty dominant at the end of the first round finishes. I think he won a decision in his last fight. <coughs> yeah. Again, it's, it's a very... um. Again, like I was saying, the main sort of take-homes from that is the timing of the card. So again, Nathaniel Wood, UK fighter, UK time, prime time to watch it, free prelims, yeah. UFC fight pass prelims, eyes on him. Again, popularity, perfect sort of storm for him in that. 15 minutes of just absolute chaos, constant work. And there's certain things in there I think he can really sort of take home. Again, the combination, the relentless pace, so the inside... So the calf kicks, non-stop Brad Pickett-esque sort of coaching. is pure calf kicks, leg kicks. Again, just non-stop, non-stop, non-stop. And it's just a frequency. Because again, I had this um, conversation with my friend um, Tom Lancaster, who's um, a thing is pro-am Muay Thai fighter. I get confused with the rule sets. And watching one of his fights. Again, it's just such fast striking exchanges. I don't know how you can even be cognitive about the decisions you're making. Again, it's so automated. But this is kind of it, though, the sort of pace they're both putting on each other. Again, it's, it's amazing to sort of see how they manage to keep on adapting to each other's styles and keep on figuring things out. 
And now yep. we move on to the people's main event, Stefan Shrove against <laughs> Bam Bam Trivasa. If, if you don't like to try Trivasa, man, I love him, man. <laughs> I love him so much. And Stefan Struve again. <laughs> he's I, I think he's unsung here. I love Stefan Struve just because he's gonna be lanky as well. I'm like, so hey, my boy. Shoey after the fight. I was so good he couldn't do the shoey. He jumped over the cage and shouted yeah. for a shoe. He got the shoe and no shoey. beer. There weren't no no beer allowed in the in the uh, in the um, arena, which was a shame. But yeah, no, great fight. Um, you know, everything we thought was gonna be Stefan Shuve trying to stay at sort of distance. Again, Stefan Shuve's another one that's that, that fights with his back towards the fence. You know, it's just that sort of style that he does. He doesn't sort of come forward that often and he kind of like stays back and sort of uses his range a bit more. And then obviously Tui. The size difference was ridiculous. You know, um I was actually watching it with a friend of mine, Kerry, and and you know, she does a bit of jujitsu and, and she doesn't really watch MMA that much and she was just like how, how can these two fight each other look how big he is compared to how small he is you know I think it's 6 foot 2 to 6 foot 11 and a half yeah 11 and a half not so... quite 7 foot half an I inch know, I know I know just give him that half just give him that make it round 7 anyway I think he should grow his hair a little bit <laughs> it's like wearing stilts but yeah <laughs> it's um yeah there's a few then, things in that. I mean, in the world of COVID, for him to do a shoey, I would have thought would be so fucking like, you know, on the nose of... Mm. <laughs> I can guarantee he definitely did a shoey back at the hotel. Oh, 100%. Definitely. definitely. He, what did he put on his Instagram I sent you? Did he, did he shit the bed or piss the bed or something? He was absolutely wanking. Pissed the bed, laughed about it, and then had a bottle of champagne and was sat on the balcony just necking the champagne first thing in the morning. Glasses on. Absolute legend. He's a hero. <laughs> he's wonderful but do you hear what I think it was in the commentary his last fight against um, oh who was it on the JDS was JDS card against JDS he started his camp at 322 pounds yeah ridiculous absolutely crazy he's a big boy I he's never, a big boy I, I'm going to be a bit of a casual here I still don't understand how heavyweights are fat like if you're training MMA and training like a full athlete for like full camp I don't know how you're still fat <laughs> but anyway I don't, know, I don't get it he's yeah, just the way it is. I, I I don't know myself. It's just heavyweights are just made differently, I think. So, but then again, look at DC. Mm. DC was still fat even when he lost all the weight to come down to light heavyweight. He's still eating Popeyes though, so you know he's a yeah, bit of exceptional. Eat Popeyes chicken all the time. <laughs> so now, do you want to take us through the main card? Uh, let's have a little look at this main card then. The prediction-wise, we're but, even on this three and three, so you know. Yes, I know. So with our our new thing of, of picking the. Uh, Picking the fights, we're actually 3-3 going into uh, next week. So we start off with... Right, I'm going to butcher names yeah, we'll have some fun with this one. Uh, here we go. Mangomed Ankalaev. Okay, um, I, can, yeah. I, can, I can do that. That's fine. Yeah, we can go with that one. Okay, yeah. So um, this is a rematch from... It was kind of a controversial one. I don't remember the first one too much, but... I, I, controversial I think he got hit with a shot and the referee jumped in really fast and and just obviously um he got disputed because he was he was still fully conscious and I think he was even still standing at the time or maybe he dropped and stood straight back up and the referee jumped in too quick I think that's what happened the first one I can't remember exactly um but yeah uh, the rematch really really slow paced first sort of round um and then towards the end of the fight um Ankalara 
you know, dropped him with a big shot and, and finished the fight. Um, not much happened in the fight up until that point, to be honest. Did you catch it yourself? And I'm caught the main card, only the main, yeah, main card main. at all, yeah. So, yeah, not, not a lot happened. Uh, they were both kind of feeling each other out. Um, and then, yeah, just, you know, Ankalov landed a great shot, um, dropped him and got the win. So um, that's it's actually two nil to him now in these fights because uh, the first one still stands and now it's uh, the rematch has gone pretty much the same way except for with a bit of a an actual a, a proper mm. finish this time without the referee sort of jumping in too fast. So yeah, good win, Frank Love, and it's um, light heavyweight another another prospect coming through the light heavyweight division. You know, light heavyweight division without John Jones is very open now. I think you know. I think even the top ten could all beat each other at the moment. You know, if they have, if one has a good day, one has a bad day. I think uh, the top ten is quite open uh, for the light heavyweight division, which makes it interesting. You know, we don't know who's going to be able to keep hold of that title for long. So we've got some uh, some prospects coming through as well. I mean, we'll get onto the ambiguity, ambiguity of um, a top fifteen, but that's for a bit later on. Yeah, a bit later on. Okay, moving on to our next fight, which was the women's flyweight, Laura Murphy versus Lilia. Uh, Shakarova. Shakarova? Yeah, we can do it. Yeah. So far, so good. <laughs> that'll do. Yeah. Um, so, Shakarova coming in on a eight-fight win streak, I think it is. I think she lost her first fight uh, when she competed, and then she's won eight in a row, and won very convincingly as well. And Lauren Murphy, you know, she's been in the game for absolute years. You know, she's a, she's a veteran of the women's game. Um, fought at the highest level at bantamweight and now obviously dropped down to flyweight. Um, and she's on a three-fight win streak, I think she was before this fight as well. And uh, Leah, she said some things that, you know, I, I don't think uh, Lauren Murphy respected too much, saying that she was too old and she needed to retire. And, um, you know, she was going to come in and knock her out in the first couple of minutes and it was going to be easy and she's the new wave. And, you know, Lauren Murphy is sort of old school and, you know, should be hanging up her gloves and stuff like that. So Lauren Murphy came into this one with a little bit of a point to prove. She already thinks that she's the number one contender for the, um, for the flyweight division anyway. Um, she was ranked, I think, fourth when she came into this fight. Um, but no, it was a great fight. You know, first round, very even. <clears throat> um, both of them sort of feeling each other out. Lauren Murphy sort of like a little bit hesitant, sort of like seeing what Lilia was going to sort of throw at her after the, you know, the statement that she, she gave. Um, and then, yeah, second round, Lauren Murphy came out and, and did exactly what she needs to do, took it down and, and got a great submission win. Um, I don't think she had too much trouble. Um, in this fight and and then afterwards she jumped on top of the cage and you know shout out to Dana White that she is number one she should be ranked number one in that division and she should be next for the uh, title fight and to be honest I, I don't see why she shouldn't she won four in a row <clears throat> she's down at the flyweight now and she was a top prospect at bantamweight as well so yeah it's going to be interesting but you know um we have, oh, Jesus, I forgot what the flyweight champion's called now. Um, who is it? Well, um, women's flyweight. Valentina Shevchenko. Oh, there mm. we go. Uh, Valentina Shevchenko fights in a few, yeah, the bullet. Yeah, she, she fights soon anyway. So she's got a fight coming up and then hopefully Laura Murphy can get her, get her title fight sometime next year so it was a good fight Ron Murphy did really well very very nice and controlled did, did exactly what she needed to do with somebody who was completely unknown you know first round felt her out and then second round went into the finish 
yeah, really good fight. Yeah, title was sort of contentious. Moving it was a bit of an interesting on. one. Oh, sorry, mate, go on. Do I go for it? What are you saying? So entitled contention is always an interesting one. And again, this becomes the whole thing of your, what's, you know, the, um, is it Zoolander? The, the, um, what's his name? Will Ferrell meme. It's so hot right now. Like, as soon as you come off a win, this is the time to really shout and scream for everything. Because again, as much as you've got value and stock for your own reputation, you've got to do it as soon as, you know, strike with iron's hot kind of thing. So again, that kind of thing, as much as it's sort of, you see a lot of people doing it, that's the best time <coughs> to do it. After you get a finish, you'll get it wherever else. Jumping on the cage, shout out to Dana. It's the time, it's the best time to do it, really. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and she, yeah, exactly what you're saying. It's the best time to do it. And she, yeah, she took advantage of it as well. You know, like I say, first round, nice and steady. Second round came out. She dominated. She did exactly what she wanted. She jumped on the fence and told Dana White exactly what she wanted after the fight, which is perfect. Uh, moving on, we have Jacob uh, Mal, Mal- I'm terrible with names today. McCowan, that's it. Jacob McCowan. Um, he was 4-0, and o, so very, very fresh in his MMA career. Uh, but he has got pro uh, pro boxing experience. And he fights out of the same team as Robert Whitaker, one of his main training partners. Um, and then Phil Hawes, who came off the Contender Series. He's actually fought twice on the Contenders. So, you know, we've, we've seen him a few times now. Um, and this just was not a fight. Um, <laughs> it's 18 seconds. It's the second fastest finish in middleweight uh, division for a UFC de- debut, so which was um, Phil Horse, um, and he just he just hit him with some absolute monster shots. He's he's compact, he's fast, um, he's very very powerful, um, and he's he's going to be one to watch out for. Um, he hit him with you know a right hand that wobbled him uh, just around the back of the ear, and then finished up with a with a combo of two or three shots, and the left hook just slumped him on the floor, and he was actually out cold for quite a while. So, yeah, it's a it's a it's a really good fight to watch for all of it, eighteen seconds of it, um, but a great finish. And Phil Horse is definitely going to be one to watch in the future. And those kind of knockouts are scary as well, and it's one of those ones you got to think about. Yeah, it's all very exciting, but you wonder about I don't know the career afterwards for McCowan because as much as it's very well and good, given the whole spiel of it's better getting stuck in, get the experience, but 18-second knockout or that kind of size of a card, you've got to hope he's doing all right. You've got to hope he's in a good headspace with that, especially with... Um, well, that's an interesting one itself, about how Rob thought felt after the fact, seeing his teammate getting stopped so quickly. Yeah, yeah. Um, it'd be interesting to see if Rob actually watched it beforehand mm. or whether he just sort of like blanked it out, waited after his fight, then found out what his friend did. Because he's, he's, he's one of his best friends and one of his main training partners. So it'd be quite interesting to, uh, to, to see whether Robert Whitaker watched it or not. So moving on, Volkanov uh, versus um, Walt Harris. Um, you know, both top contenders in the heavyweight division. Uh, Volkanov, you know, we've seen him plenty of times now. Absolutely huge. He looks massive. He looked like he's, he's put size on, but in a good way. Um, he looks a lot thicker, um, a lot bigger set across the chest, shoulders and back. Um, so he's definitely been doing some good good work in the COVID times. Um, during lockdown, he's definitely been doing some more strength and conditioning. They didn't mention it in the commentary, but just from what I saw, what he looked like. Um, and he's, he's got a new back tattoo as well, which I'm going to throw out there. He's, um, which I'm actually gutted about because he used to have the matching tattoo with Moana's grandma. Um in the Disney film. Really? The, 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 
Yeah, mate, honestly, go, go back and look. Before I knew who he was, before I knew who he was, um, I saw him fight, and straight away I was like, that's Moana's grandma's tattoo, you know, and, and, and now he's got a huge back piece to cover it up and stuff like that. Um, he's got a big, uh, <laughs> Do you see what I mean? Do you see what I mean? So he's there. Uh, he's, yeah, everybody else check that out. He used to have the Moana oh, the mantra, grandma yeah. tattoo. To Ray on his on his back, and now he's had it he's, he's had it covered for a big Japanese samurai warrior face, um, which is pretty cool. But getting back to the fight, less talking about tattoos. We'll talk about that later. Um, Walt right. Harris came out, looked very good. Um, Volkov, um, you know, landing strikes from the outside. Um, both looked very good in the first round. Walt Harris came out, and, and and unfortunately with Walt Harris again, I don't know why it is. Walt Harris again as well. The, the commentators did mention that he had been working on his strength and conditioning, and he came in lighter for this fight. And again, you could tell in the difference in the body, it looked really good. But um, unfortunately, just he, towards the end of the round, he started to gas a little bit. Um, he's got he's got a few problems with his with his cardio, Walt Harris, and. Second round, he came out and he just looked a little bit fatigued. Um, and then, yeah, Volkov um, got a great win. Uh, let me just see how that ended because it's not showing on my... It was a body shot, wasn't it? It was that stabbing-like... Was, a... was it teeth? That... Like... Yeah, there we go. Yeah. It was, yeah, front, front kick. Um, yeah, Volkov landed a really, really nice front kick. And originally, I think the commentators thought it was a low blow. Mm. Um, but you know, in the replays, it shows you it was straight in the gut, and what Harris just crumbled. And you know, I'm sure you felt body shots before in training. Yep. Um, it is the worst feeling in the world. I would quite happily get head kicked rather than any kind of body shot, whether it had been knee, a kick, or a punch, because they are just the worst things ever. I just opt out for all of it, really, as a preference, but you know, each their own. <laughs> We're into it, your business. <laughs> No, body shots are the worst. I, I absolutely hate them. But it's why I throw them so much because I hate them so much. Shout out, shout like, right, you have, Yeah, you have these. <laughs> I don't want them. You can take them. <clears throat> so, co-main event, Robert Whitaker versus Jerry Current. Yeah, Bobby Knuckles. Have you seen the fight? Managed to watch any of these or you know the results? Obviously? I've seen the, seen the results. Seen, I want to talk about the yeah. post-fight interview. absolutely love it. I love um, Robert Whitaker so much more. Um, seen highlights from the, this fight itself and yeah, it's really yeah. interesting because as, as we were saying in our live stream available on Instagram Fisticuff's podcast we're talking about the um, transition in weights for um, Jared Cannon and how his sort of style adapts to it because again if you're used to fighting a heavier weights <laughs> if you're heavier weight then light heavier weight then back to, down to middleweight again you're transitioning the styles your sparring partners again the whole way you fight naturally adapts or again you at least adapt your existing style and when it comes to Rob Wick again the sort of I don't know, not his composure comes across as complacency sometimes, but again, he was not complacent <coughs> in that fight. He looked incredible. No, yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. Um, I actually had Jerry Cannonier winning this fight um, before. Um, I just thought he was going to come, um, fresh new person in the middleweight division after dropping down the divisions. I thought um, his power was going to trouble Robert Whitaker. Um, you know, Robert Whitaker, you know, as much as a, as a great fighter he is, he has been wobbled quite a few times during fights. Um, and I just thought Cannonier being, being, you know, an ex heavyweight and having that power and bringing it down to middleweight with him, I thought he was really going to uh, trouble him. But, you know, Robert Whitaker looked absolutely amazing. 
Um, I think it's the best I've, I've seen him. I think he looked better in this fight than he has done in some of his title wins, to be honest. Um, he looks sharp. He looks switched on. Uh, his combinations look great. Um, everything about him looked brilliant. Um, and then, yeah, in third round, you know, first two rounds, he was just ap- absolutely outpointing him, out and piecing him up, um, landing shots whenever he wanted. Cannonier just did not get into the flow at all. And I don't think it was the fact that Cannonier had a bad night. I just think it's Robert Wicker had such a good night. So he just, you know, Cannonier just couldn't get started, couldn't get a foothold in the fight at all. And then third round, DC mentioned it two or three times, that um, combination he throws, which is a one-two and then a right head kick. Uh, while you're trying to slip away from the right hand, he throws the head kick up afterwards. You know, he threw it once or twice and Cannonier managed to get the hand in, in, up there to block. Um, and then third round, you know, he really wobbled Cannonier. But, you know, full props to Cannonier. He, he, you know, he, he fought back and he recovered really well and he grabbed hold of him and did what he needed to do. And even slightly sort of stung Robert Whitaker after that as well, you know, with a really heavy sort of like step in jab from the southpaw position. But no, Robert Whitaker had an absolute awesome fight and he looked great. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to the, to the rematch now. Alessandro is going to have to give him the rematch. There's nobody else in the division that really deserves to fight. Um, except Robert Whitaker, and especially after that performance, you know, um, it's going to be interesting. And, you know, I like the way Robert Whitaker in the post-fight press conference as well. You know, he sort of said, yep, I want that fight. You know, it's going to be a little bit different. You know, I know what happened in the first fight, but I'm not even worried about that. And, uh, yeah, I think it'll be a great rematch. What do you think to, uh, to the rematch after seeing this performance? So what I absolutely love about the whole like, post-fight press conference, even sort of talking about this whole situation, I, this is just pure, like, almost like GSP kind of thing. He's just so very much like, I don't know, respectful in the sense, but also a bit funny. Yep. So you're saying how, first and foremost, he wants to have his Christmas. He wants to spend yep. time with his newborn. Every time, yep. when his last kids were born, again, he had fights. He was focused on that and didn't have the same sort of time. So the amount, all the follow-up questions from there onwards, he kept that same response like, oh, yeah, this, that, and the other, but I want to make sure I have this, this gap. Then I'm going to think about fighting. And I think that's so healthy. I think that's so important. Um, yeah. <laughs> he was talking about um, Cannoneer saying, um, you know, he loves his healing crystals. He said, well, I guess I had more oh, coffee than he had crystals. crystals versus coffee. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I had more coffee than he had crystals. I love him, man. He's so funny. <laughs> and um, yeah, I tell you what, it's so sort of humble and just genuine. He's like, yeah, that guy knocked me out. <laughs> I don't really want to do it anytime soon. It's going to be a tough fight. Like, of course, it's going to be hard. <laughs> like, this guy, this guy stopped me or something. <laughs> that kind of genuine honesty. It's not like, you know, ignorance. It's like, yeah. I will fight him. We'll fight again, whether it's now or in a cage or in a parking lot or whatever, but you know, it's going to happen. When we grab Yeah, literally, yeah. I was uh, like, okay, it's just so genuine. I was like, yeah, he's just like, this is what's going on, but meh. He, yeah. he gets it. I love that sort of genuine sort of side of it. Because again, as much as they're competitive athletes, yes, this, that, and the other, but again, they're human and that sort of side of it, I don't know, I've got a lot more respect for Bobby Knuckles. Yeah, definitely. No, he's a, he's a great ambassador and a great sort of role model as well. Uh, what you want to see from a fighter, definitely. No. So, main event. <laughs> now, I know you've watched this. So, get your... I know you've so, watched this one. Because a massive we thank were, you to um, good we old Carsten here. Live um, talking together as we were watching. So, get, if you're a tight <laughs> ass like myself and was so. quite busy, find yourself a friend who's you know, pays for pay-per-views and then FaceTime them before the main event. <laughs> and get a free main event. <laughs> I wish I missed it there as well. Again, being a exactly. 
And to see Carsten's heartbreak as so, my Nando uh, started rolling in. Go on. That's, yeah. Um, the actual main event, there's, you know, I'm pretty sure most people that are going to be listening to this have already seen the fight by now. The only thing I will say is I was a little bit shocked at the way Justin Gaethje sort of, I don't know, just didn't, didn't throw much. Uh, again, I don't know if that was necessarily to do with Justin Gaethje or more to do with the way Khabib fought. He literally came out like he did not care about Justin's punches one little bit. He literally sat, you know, on that front leg, you know, stepping forward, you know, sort of like trying to land his own shots. And, and basically, he did whatever he wanted. Um it was it was an interesting fight for that reason. Just Khabib, just 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 no respect for Justin Gaethje's power at all, and Justin Gaethje being one of the harder hitters in the in the lightweight division. It was it was interesting, um, but yeah, you know we all know the result. Khabib, you know, took him down at the end of the first round, which was awesome, and went for that mounted sort of like mounted armbar, <clears throat> which was quite interesting to see the the little amount of sort of defense that. Gaethje had when he hit the floor. I don't know if, I don't know what his, where his mental was at at the time. He sort of like, he sort of like, you know, let the position happen. And, and, you know, I think the armbar, you know, if he had another 30 seconds, I think the armbar would have been, would have, would have got the armbar in the first round, to be honest. Uh, and then second round came out again, you know, didn't respect Gaethje's power. Um, didn't really get hit with anything except of a few, few low kicks and maybe one left hook um shot through again just an easy takedown um and got the the amount of triangle and, and you know fell to his back and finished it um absolutely amazing you know Khabib he's definitely up there with one of the greatest um he's definitely up there as probably the greatest lightweight champion definitely um he's up there as one of the pound for pounds as well um it's it's a sad thing to see him retire, but you know I think everybody understands why he's done it. Uh, made a promise to his mum that he wouldn't fight without his dad in the corner, and he's had this one fight, and I think that'll be it for Khabib now. Um, and uh, we all know how you feel about you know the after fight interview and how uh, it was it was pretty deep. So yeah, the way the way he reacted after the fight, how how was you finding finding the reactions afterwards? So again, there's this whole. Again, I said this on our live interview thing, something that really concerned me quite a bit was, again, the sort of the attitude of Gagey that once the bell rings, I've then got what I need. Once this has happened, I've then sorted my family out with setting the other. It was very much his finish line seemed to be the fight starting. Yeah. I was winning the fight. Um, so that is the initial alarm bell. In there, instead of Gagey looking like he's having fun, he looked panicked, he looked stressed, looked like he's going to be, again, this is sort of, seeing it through a screen is not quite appreciating what he actually was like. But again, on interpretation, it came very much like he was panic, stressed. Because again, as you would be fighting Khabib, but again, he's someone who's known for being, you know, energetic, having fun, this, that, and the other. So he's there, he's stressed out, he's thrown quite wildly. Yes, he's landing some calf kicks, this, that, and the other. But again, he doesn't seem to be, I don't know, because he did. He was doing quite well to then circle, like alternatively. Because again, if you're going one direction so often, you can predict the next step and you can sort of follow up on yeah. that. But even still, it could be debate something else. Again, it wasn't very much 
well, even Trevor Whitman sort of turned the fucking snap out of it a little bit between rounds. And this was this was yeah. it. He didn't seem like he, he was there. And other than the rare fucking leaving him for dead, I don't know why that stoppage hasn't been fucking like the Ray Charles meme of like you know the ref of the Gaethje fight is fucking spot on. Because what was that? How many times you need to tap before you know? And thankfully it was just a choke and not like a joint lock or something. Because I thought, why? Why is he? Why did he go out? Why? Why did they let him go out? I mean, are there not enough eyes on him at that point? Say, you know, there's no one else in there other than the fighters and like the camera crew and stuff. Why didn't someone shout saying, "Fucking, he's tapping, let go"? Because then I hear DC shouting it. It's one of those. Dan, Dan Hardy was there, was he? To, uh, to shout. That's twice it. now. <laughs> <laughs> Stop the fucking fight! <laughs> That's what we But again, it's one of them ones. So, so that in itself is a bit interesting. Um, what surprised me a lot with Khabib was the urgency for submissions and lack of ground and pound. So that's, I don't know, different to the sort of Khabib styles we sort of know and love. Obviously, in his earlier fights, you see triangle finishes, you see different kind of subs. But again, this is very much not route one as such, because again, it's... <laughs> have you seen the meme it's like a picture of Khabib like a shirt he was wearing at weigh-ins it was um, if jiu-jitsu was easy because no, if Sambo was easy to be called jiu-jitsu like that kind of thing but yep. it's very jiu-jitsu style sort of you know take him down get the mount go for a triangle this that and the other so again yep. without the ground and pound like the smashing sort of style it was very strange and you get the alarm bells Gaethje getting taken down no attempt to scramble no attempt to get position back not even trying to get a guard just sort of just not really there and you can see how happy he was once it was over that was the sort of staple on, okay, if I wasn't sure if he wasn't, didn't want to be there, him waking up, having not been knocked out, thinking, okay, that's out of the way. Now he's retired, the relief. Like, again, him fighting Mike Chandler next or whatever else is whatever. I sort of lost a bit of a... Yep. It's, it's, I don't know. What's your thoughts to that? So now, now we've sort of like covered the fight a little bit. We've kind of seen what's happened. Most people understand stuff like that now. Um... I just want to say there's a few little things that I'm not 100%. I can't quite get my head around a few little things about this whole show, to be fair. Right. I'm going to go to back to the weight, the way in to start with. So I don't know why, but there's not been as much on this way in that I thought there would be when I first kind of spotted what had happened. Um, I personally don't think could be made weight. Okay. So, for anybody that hasn't seen the videos, go online and put Khabib way in, and there's thousands. Um, definitely look at the Mike Dolce one because he had a little bit of a thing about it. Um, and I, I know you've seen it because I tagged you in a post when I sort of spotted when I sort of saw what happened. So I personally don't think Khabib made the weight. I think there might have been a little bit of a thing with, I'm going to say it, but I think there might have been a, a little bit of a thing with the UFC. I think the UFC might have maybe paid people to because Khabib wasn't going to make weight. So you got my tinfoil hat on now or what with the conspiracies? What's yeah, the I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say it. I'm I'm never gonna fight for the UFC. I'm never gonna work for them. It don't fucking matter anymore. Um, but yeah, I think the UFC might have paid somebody off to to allow Khabib to to make the weight officially because he didn't make weight and the way the the, the way the guy you know, acted with the scales and, you know, the whole thing of him holding on to the people, then finally letting go. And then the scale was on the way up and he just like, sort of whipped it straight across. And, you know, I just, I just don't think that somebody in that position would make 
those kind of mistakes. And especially if you look at the way the way Gaethje and the way everybody else in was done correctly, and it was all done by the same guy. So I just don't think that that. So I, I think maybe the UFC might have paid somebody off because Khabib was struggling to make the weight. We have now found out that Khabib had a broken bone in his foot you know, weeks before. So maybe that might have had something to do with it. He wasn't able to run. He wasn't able to train properly. So he wasn't going to make the weight correctly. You know, that's a big part of it. And then in the fight itself, um, again, going back to this Gaethje situation where it just, it didn't look like the normal Gaethje in there. And the point that you've just made is, is a big alarm bell for me as well. I'm not saying that the fight was fixed, but, Gaethje didn't look like the normal Gaethje. Khabib didn't look like he cared about Gaethje's power. And anybody that fights Gaethje is always going to be worried about Gaethje's power. So that's, that's, that's one thing to look at. The other thing is the takedown. Like you said, there was no scrambling. There was no trying to get back up. And we all know how good a defensive wrestler Gaethje is. But where was this defensive wrestling that we know he's got? Wasn't seen at all. And then the last alarm bell that rings for me is the fact that you just said, you know, there was no ground and pound. When does Khabib ever do no ground and pound? Unless he doesn't want to hurt the guy. And if he goes for a submission, you can tap. It's kind of the easiest way to fix a fight. I don't know. I'm just going to throw out a few things out there. I just There's a few things that just don't sit right with me about this whole fight, the whole event, everything. Just, you know, and I know it's a hell of a lot of money that the UFC would be losing if Khabib didn't make weight and if he didn't win this fight. And, you know, just such a few different things floating around at the minute. Um, I'm just going to sort of say it out there now. I've not really seen anybody else say anything about it. So I'm going to be the first one to say it. Fantastic. Now, with that point, it is interesting. So, despite having Mike Chandler as a, again, we've said this before, Mike Chandler is the one who won UFC 254. He is the one who's got the pages to make weight, and that was the end of that. <laughs> um, but again, so say Khabib doesn't make weight, Mike steps in. What's the pay per view number compared to what it was this time? And then this whole, I don't know, it gets so questionable. And again, the, the whole attitude, this is where the alarm bells really start to ring. And the thing is, as I was sort of saying, this thing seemed a bit off. The fact we're saying this now, the thing is we haven't even mentioned this sort of conspiracy as a whole before. And it's quite interesting because it makes you wonder how much is getting tinkered behind the scenes. Now, whether Khabib is a like, fraction of a pound over this, that, and ever, or he's like, I don't know, 10, you don't know. Again, tiramisu might be coming back. Who knows what's going on with this? But again, the whole urgency, the conversations, like why is this fight the one Khabib had to fight without the last fight without his dad? Why was why did he fight again? Why is Justin why is um sorry, Justin why is Justin the person to do it? Again, you insert next person with good defensive wrestling and wild striking. They're the next person. And again, it's all fairly <coughs> arbitrary. Then what happens if um, Gaethje wins? Is the number still not the same? Is the result? Again, you get a whole feel-good sort of story. We get the sort of, you know, the villain kind of the heel moment. Again, it's a bit of a... What, what would the other side of the coin be like? The antagonist, the... And it's a thing with Gaethje, though, he wasn't even playing the heel role. He wasn't even like, you know, the McGregor kind of, you know, 
playing the pantomime villain. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh no, you won't kind of thing. No. No, he, he was sort of, you know, I'm here, it's fine, I'm I'm wholesome as well. And it's a bit like, okay, yeah, it's, it's very sus, the whole thing. Again, without further sort of information, it's all a bit, mm. you can tell there's some sort of agenda going on there. But again, we will leave um, big media and all these big corporations to another conversation, yep. Phil. Um, now, on the topic of predictions, <laughs> this, that, and the other. And Definitely. again, retirement conversations. So we've got Uriah Hall against Anderson Silva. Now, what is your initial thoughts on this? Because I'm kind of with Phil. Yep. When someone's got their, you know, their plane ticket home, their retirement plan already sorted, I don't want to see them fight again. I don't trust it. I don't look forward to it. I'm a bit concerned already. What are you thinking? Uh, no, I agree with you 100%. When you're already talking about retirement and saying this is definitely going to be my last fight and stuff like that, then there's already sort of one foot out the octagon, if you uh, if you will. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, it's a little bit interesting. And Uriah Hall, you know, he's had a bit of an up and down career, but when he's on, he could be one of the best middleweights in the world. You know, he's got the skills to do it. I just think it's a bit of a mental thing for him. So, you know, having that, that farewell fight with somebody that could, you know, fight the way right, uh, Uriah Hall can fight is, a, is, is, a, is a, an interesting one and, and a little bit of a dangerous one. Well, 100%, because again, when it comes to Uriah Hall, he still gives me nightmares to this day of that knockout in the, um, I think it was John Jones' series of Tough, where anyone who thought... Oof put prior to behind closed doors yep. you wouldn't get the same kind of experience watch that fight listen to the silence after a man basically gets killed and tell me that fight isn't you know there's no <laughs> tell me a, a crowd would make that better it makes the whole thing so much more daunting much more ominous he's a scary man yeah and you know Anderson Silva he's a horrible I hate his voice is so annoying 100%. Anderson <laughs> he's um, a bit of an interesting one in himself as to how um, <laughs> where his career's going and again, since Uncle Chael absolutely rips into pieces, I can't respect him. Mm. But the real main event on this, for anyone who's not appreciating this, is Thug Nasty against um, Touchy Feely, which are two phenomenal oh. fight names. And Bryce Mitchell, listen to his podcast yep. on I Love It So Much. Thug Nasty, Bryce Mitchell. He was on um tough series, undefeated, the one with um Luis Pena, Tyler Diamond, the Tough 25 26. Um, Brad Katona, G- Joe Giannetti. Joe Giannetti is one who went to fight Paddy Pimlet would end up being like 20 yeah. pounds overweight. Um, and yeah, it's quite a big mix of stuff. Actually, that's an interesting point. <laughs> so in that series, you had Tyler Diamond with um, Bryce Mitchell. And Tyler is team alpha male, as is Andre Feeling. So, you know, there yeah. we are. Interesting one. And again, Bryce is one of these yeah. people. They're both like... That's a touchy feeling. They both don't sort of talk shit, so I just sort of crack on with it. So it'd be interesting to see how that sort of fight pans out. Like, if you did you see that series yeah. of tough with Bryce? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've watched pretty much every series. Um, <clears throat> he's an interesting character. He's, uh, you know, and, he, and he's finally got his camo shorts. Has he finally got them? Finally. Oh, I love it. What is this yep, they've said they're good. For him, this is going to be his, his first fight with his own camo Reebok UFC shorts. Oh, I love that so much. So, for anyone who doesn't know Bryce Mitchell, he's basically the yep. most wholesome southern man in the world. 
you can imagine him like some sort of Hannah Montana movie kind of thing. Like he's just sort of, you know, just genuine and a bit wholesome. But yeah, he's just a bit, I don't know, he's just sort of simple and sweet. Like if you like yep. Theo Vaughn, he's that sort of guy. He's very much like, you know, <laughs> he's from Arkansas through and through. And Andrew Philly, he's a bit sort of, I don't know, a bit rough and he's um, alpha male. He's a, I don't know, it's, it's an interesting one. So again, it's when you get two sort of predominant wrestling styles, again, I know Philly's got his striking, but again, from a wrestling sort of gym, it's, it's what, you, know, you can't help but sort of pick up those sort of things. And Bryce being predominantly a grappler. It's an interesting one how that sort yeah. of pans out. So initial predictions for those two. Again, we've got other fights in the card, but again, I'm not as familiar with them. No. So we'll do the predictions on the main and co-main event for this one for our uh, for our on-running tally. So we're at three three at the minute, and me personally, I think I'm going to go for Uriah Hall and Bryce Mitchell. Um, I don't know about you. Who you who you picking for these? We can go for the same ones, obviously. But this is just, what I wanted to say because doesn't go on the tally. This is this is kind of yes. I'm one, I'm going the same because again, one feel. Anderson's already signed his leaving check. He's getting this out and the other. And Uriah Hall's still dangerous and hungry. Getting an for a bet. And again, I've got a bit of a thug nasty bias. The camera power. And again, I'll, I don't mind touchy feel. He's all right. But again, you know, <laughs> you know what side you yeah. bird. That's what we want. So again, this um, great minds thinking. Yeah. Now, before we wrap things up, there's a very interesting point we've got to make on this. So we've got That's- two staple topics we want to get through. So we'll go through the wonderful world of rankings and our man, Leon Edwards. So take us away, my friend. Where do we want to yep. go with this? So Leon Edwards, obviously, as we all know, got kicked out of the UFC rankings uh, for inactivity. Um, he didn't take a fight because the people who were offering, he didn't feel were at the right level for him to fight. Um, they were below him in the rankings. He was only interested in fighting number number one, number two, or for the title. Um, he's now been kicked out of the rankings. Uh, and we have your favourite. Uh, what's his name again? Chemayev. Um, is he even ranked yet? Kamzat Chemayev. Is he even ranked yet? No. No, still not ranked in the worldweight division. Um, so now these two have obviously they've signed now. I was watching the post-fight press conference with Dana White, catching up on that today, um, and they've actually signed now. It's on the 18th or 19th of December. I can't remember the exact 19th, date, but one of those two anyway. Um, it's going to be an interesting one. So. 19th yet so 19th of December who do you have for this what what have you seen that you like and, and, and who are you going for for this one oh, I'm going to have to say this my tail between my legs I think Leon's going to win and I'm going to have to hear more from him now I don't want him to win because I just find him unlikable but that might be again the point with that is sort of the way things are portrayed things the way things are shown to give people a certain tone but again I don't know I want Smash Boy to do really well, but again, it might just be another hype train. So you never really know these sort of things. Um, but again, Leon Edwards, yeah. this is a perfect opportunity for him again because what he needed, everything has panned out really well for Leon with this. So now him being kicked out of the rankings has done wonders for his stock. He's back in the conversation. He's not just someone who's lost in the mix of these names. He's now someone saying, why has he been taken out? He deserves to be there. This is unfair. Yep. And now he's been given someone who may not be in the rankings, but is in the spotlight in the conversation. 
if he turned around earlier and said, you know what, I will fight Wonderboy, he would just been on another card, another name, progressively getting his up, you know, slowly chipping away, which is, you know, a, a way to do it. Yeah. But again, it sort of, he puts him back in that UFC box. And you don't really want, again, there's an element of you want to play the game, but you also don't want to be part of like an overall sort of agenda. Like, I won't name names, but an organization, they were treating um, a friend of mine like a journeyman. And when he bit back and said, I'm not a journeyman, don't treat me like that. They didn't like that. Now, that's not to say he shouldn't have said that. And the fact they don't like it yeah. isn't necessarily a bad thing. So again, it's more the bigger picture. So again, if he played the game of fighting Wonderboy, yes, it would have been playing the game, this, that, and the other. It's all right. But him biting back saying, no, I don't want that. It's not what I want for this my career. As much as we all sort of saying, oh, no, you're this, that, and the other. No, that's now given him an opportunity to then get more in the spotlight, fighting someone on the up and coming, and again, becoming the heel, and then spoiling the pipe would give him that extra bit of a career sort of, you know, injection saying, look, I am fucking for real. I am the man. I am this guy. And then I don't care who you put in front of me. I want someone who's worth my, um, my time. And when it comes to inactivity and everything else, you get the polar opposite, and Shamaya sort of smashes yep. everyone. <laughs> so it becomes this whole... I don't know. Again, it's perfect opportunity for both of them. Where do you see from what I've just sort of gone off and initial thoughts? So, so I've I've been talking to a few of my friends that have been messaging me about this once the fight got made. Um, who do I think would win? And to be honest, I can't make an actual a decision yet because I haven't seen enough of Shamaya. You know, we've seen him you know, take down Reese and, and you know, and, and dominate there. We've seen him knock um, his last opponent out within, you know, 30 seconds. We've, we've actually not seen enough for me to make an educated guess on whether he's at the level where he can fight Leon Edwards or whether Leon Edwards is going to run through. We don't know yet, um, which is why I think this is a great fight because Leon's saying that he doesn't want to fight people below him because they're not on his level and he, he's, he's, a, he's above them. So this gives Leon the, the, the opportunity now to say, look, this is the, it's true what I'm saying. If he beats him and beats him easily, it's like he's not on my level. Like I've been saying all this time, all the people I keep saying no to, they're not on my level. Give me somebody above my level so I can prove that I'm at that level. So it's perfect for Leon. And like you say, it gets everybody talking about him again now he's been dropped out of the rankings. Um, and then with Chemaev as well, it gives him the opportunity to say, because he's just saying, well, I smash you, I smash you, I smash you. You know, give me three people in one night, I smash all of them, no problem. So now it gives him the opportunity to say, okay, cool. I take on the number three, meant to be the number three in the world. Well, he was before he got kicked out of the rankings. He's the number three in the world and I'm going to smash him. So if he does smash him, then we know this guy's for real. But um, I think it's a great opportunity for both fighters. I think it's perfect for both of them. Um, but to be honest, I don't know if I can, I can actually make a, a full prediction on this because we haven't seen enough of Shemaev to, uh, to make a, um, what Shane... Um, Shane Curtis calls an educated guess. Um, I don't think I can make an educated guess because I've not seen enough enough on him yet to uh, to make that to make that guess. And that is the beauty of the whole thing of um again to go massively off topic is the whole Thomas Kuhn thing of deduction versus induction. The fact okay, if I'm going to deduce something based off a fact, this is going to be guaranteed. Whereas induction inducing is pretty much you know, I guess <laughs> it should be about right. I mean, to very sort of butcher. A very, you know, respected theory, but we are. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's a smaller sentence, but okay. Yes, he's taken down X amount of opponents in the last matches, but it's not to say the next one he's going to then do the same thing again. And again, yep. it's, it's all reaction to action of this kind of thing. But again, perfect fight for both of them. Exactly what they both need for their careers. And yeah, again, I, regardless of result, the follow-up yep. will be more interesting. Now, this takes us on to our most important topic now. GOAT status. So, what is the initial case you want to put forward for who is your GOAT? And, I don't know, conflicting arguments and your thoughts. So, it's just something I want to, I want to pass over. Um, just briefly towards the end of the podcast, it is the whole Khabib being pound for pound number one, or is Jones still pound for pound number one? So obviously Khabib at the end of his interview in the cage, if uh, anybody hasn't seen it, which I'm pretty sure everybody that's going to listen to this has, um, is he says the one thing he wants after this fight is he wants to be number one, pound for pound. You know, he believes he deserves it. Um, He believes he should be there. Um, you know, he's 29 and 0, he's unbeaten, undisputed, like he always says, um, which is very true. It's all very true. Everything he says is completely true. Um, but the problem is, John Jones is up there as well. And I don't feel like John Jones should be taken out of that number one spot just because, yes, Khabib, he's beaten everybody he's ever beaten. Um, He's 29-0, and he has pretty much ran through everybody. Every fight, you know, he's lost. Technically, he's lost one round in his whole career in the UFC. Um, And yes, John Jones has lost rounds, and he's looked a little bit vulnerable at times. But John Jones hasn't lost a fight in the UFC. I know he's got one loss on his record, but he hasn't lost a fight in the UFC. You know, he was absolutely destroying Matt Hamill, and he he is a... a silly downward elbow and he got a DQ. So if you look at that, John Jones is, I think he's 26 and one. So that would make him 27 and oh, technically if you know, you called the Matt Hamill fight, it was an actual win for John Jones, which it should have been. So he's only two fights away from Khabib. So, you know, when it comes to the records, you know, they are very similar Two fights. You know, if John Jones wins his next two fights, then he's 29 and oh, technically 28 and one, we'll call it. Um, but the caliber of fighters that John Jones has actually beat, I personally think is better than the caliber of fighters that Khabib's beat. Um, with ex champions being the youngest champion, he's had a lot more title fights. I think is it 11 title fights John Jones has had now, you know, beating DC twice. Um, I just still think that John Jones should be number one when it comes to pound for pound fighter. Um, and probably GOAT status as well. Um, I agree that Khabib is a lot more likable than John Jones. I agree that Khabib is out of the octagon a hell of a lot better person and human being. Um, but those factors don't shouldn't be pulled into the fact that, you know, who's the pound-for-pound fighter. The thing that tarnishes John Jones that little bit He's obviously when he tested uh, for the pictogram. Um, but I, I still think that John Jones, just on what he's done in the cage, how many title fights, how many times he's defended the title, um, how many times he's won the title when he's been stripped of it, um, the competition that he's faced, the age he was when he won the title, 
And I just think all of this still puts him, unfortunately, above Khabib in the rankings. As much as I'd like Khabib to be top, I still think John Jones should be top in the rankings. What do you think of this? So there's a few prefaces before I go into my massive rant. One, Artem is the goat coming through, <laughs> so make sure that's very clear. Everyone knows that for a fact. <laughs> but the second goat will make this very... I think the goat... sent me a, a meme of that straight. <laughs> need to make sure we get things set, something very fucking clear. There's that. But <laughs> um, on my actual point, <laughs> uh, the goat conversation itself is very much... I've made this point quite a few times. <laughs> It is like the Hulk versus the Thing sort of conversation, superhero questions. It's a very silly conversation, but it's always good fun. There we are. Um, yeah. So in regards to this conversation, to try and give it a more formal kind of approach, there's a lot of factors to really take into account. So again, it's the caliber opponents, the sort of method of victory. And for me, it's got to be the adaption to the sort of styles and progression as a whole. Because the real thing with MMA, to really sort of give it a big wide net, from the word go from when we first started back in 92 with um, Hoist Gracie to where we are now with Habib Nurmagomedov is the evolution of the sport. The way we pick up on trends, how we sort of shut things down, learn to adapt. The old bear grubs <laughs> adapt, overcome, and this, that, and the other. It's this whole evolution. Now, to be the greatest fighter as such is to be able to keep on adapting, hence why GSP was so dominant, and hence how um, Habib retains his dominance. Now, John Jones, the fact his fighters, he's come back from adversity quite a few times. He's had guys put on him who's come back against. Yes, he's had a few questionable decisions like um, uh, who's the one who got knocked out fairly recently? Like, he got a decision that's controversial. Oh, uh, he was a baseball player. Was he a footballer? Pardon? Who was it? What's his name? The uh, Gustafsson fight? No, not Gus. It was the one afterwards. Yeah, oh, it's going to annoy me. It's going to really annoy me. What's his name? Oh, it's going to really fucking annoy me. But yeah, so he's had a controversial decision on Google. That's what I'm talking to try and do at the same time. Um, but yeah, so again, it's the quality of opponents. It's the caliber of styles and how he's sort of dealt with that adversity. So again, the thing that caveats the sort of goat status, which sounds quite silly, is how dominant Habib has been. So it's all very interesting him winning with the same sort of style but the lack of pressure to then adapt and try and change. So again, if you're getting, I don't know, mixing things up. So the nature of MMA is where certain styles start to take over. There's this whole conversation that what's more impressive, being able to beat them at the right. Dominic Reyes is the guy I was thinking of. Again, it's um, going against these different styles and then either beating them with their own game or being able to adapt your game to fit that. So this is where these sort of conversations really get interesting. So where Jones really has my side of this sort of conversation is the sort of caliber. So again, you got Shogun, you get guys like Reyes. So, was it Tiago Santos? I was called Tiago Silva. He's a very different person. Um, he plays for PSG. Yeah, I think, sure. um, again, yeah. it's a, nothing's fighting him anytime soon. There we are. Um, Tiago Silva was a fighter as well. Who knows? He just he gets really angry sometimes. Who knows? But again, you get... Um, I don't know. It's the whole thing in itself. It's what makes the fighter who they are. So as much as we're saying how they are outside of the octagon isn't really relevant, it kind of is because it's part of the whole getting these opportunities and then building their career. So as much as it is their performances individually, I feel it's also creating the opportunities. It's developing their style and coming back from, I don't know, certain factors. Because again, if say if you go in the gym and you have five rounds, each round, you do the same double leg, 
get the same past amount and the same like arm triangle. You do five out of five of that. You think, okay, cool, I've done that. Whereas if you have each round's very different, different sort of styles, you have to adapt your style to either implement that specific transition or you're in trouble yourself and then come back to then win edging it to an extent by getting position or getting a different submission. What do you feel has more credence? Where do you feel you've got more from, from your own sort of development as a such? You'd say diversity and then having to adapt. And this is where this conversation comes into as such. Because I feel without the, the pressure to then show what you're capable of, the, the real, there's the real point I'm sort of going on and on about as such is more the fact Jones gets tested more and has literally <laughs> actually been tested more and he's had to adapt and overcome is what gives him a lot more respect in my world than um, Habib, who's had a lot yeah. of more rinse and repeat of the same sort of styles. Yeah. And that's sort of where I sort of fall on that conversation. Yep. Yeah, no, I agree. It's, it's, and, and, and I also think that the pound for pound, number one, and the GOAT are two different things. Mm. I agree that the, the, the out of octagon um, kind of thing goes more into who's the GOAT. Because the greatest of all time is, you know, you want to be a more of a respectful person. Yeah, you know, the whole, the, I, I, do, I believe that the, the, the out of octagon things goes into more of the, the conversation when it comes to a GOAT. Um, but as for a pound for pound fighter, that literally talks to, that's all that's asking is who is the pound for pound fighter. It's not who's the pound for pound human. It's not the, who's the pound for pound out of octagon person. The goat is the goat. That's kind of everything all in one, but the pound for pound fighter, this is what Khabib's asking for. He wants to be the, the UFC number one pound for pound fighter. Um, and I just, I just don't know. I mean, they are going to give it to him. It's 100% guaranteed. Dana White's already said it. He was like, next week, you know, the, the number one pound for pound fighter will be Khabib. But I just don't see how they can do it when you still have John Jones in the UFC. Um, he's, you know, he, he might not be the champion at the moment because he's, you know, gave away his belt. Um, but he's still technically part of the UFC. And, you know, especially if he then moves up to heavyweight and starts winning at heavyweight as well. I just don't see how you can take the pound-for-pound pound fighter away from John Jones um, just because Khabib's asked for it and he's a better human being. And this goes back to the sort of Shamaya point of what's hot right now. Like, if you're going to turn to Khabib when he's crying over losing his dad and winning the title and say, you know, you're not the number one, people don't, we don't care like Jones is better, people are going to think you're a bit of a C next Tuesday. Now, if you have this conversation six months later, yeah. people would agree with you that, you know, Jones is definitely <clears> the goat. But because this is right on the spotlight right now, it's really fresh, it's very raw. Yeah. And every, every sense of the conversation, then this is whole yeah. recently happened, getting the finish, everything else. It then creates this, you know, this hype. And again, as much as it's a very personal thing he's gone through, and this isn't the point, yeah. the point I'm getting as more, the instance, okay, he's got the finish, he's had these emotions, the, the event has happened. And now the follow-up like, response to make him number one is where the natural reaction comes from. But again, in the same breath, you get some, you get someone, other, another smash boy comes in and grapple fucks everyone. Or you get someone spinning around, knocking people out. Like Joaquin Buckley sort of knockouts. And then you watch how everyone flocks them, so they're the goat, they're the goat, this, that, and the other. This is why I don't like the goat conversation. I like the whole Hall of Fame conversation because yeah. Hall of Fame is more specific. 
So, for example, McGregor will be in the Hall of Fame for what he's done for the sport and featherweight division. He's not oh. so not so the best fighter. He's not so saying he's a lightweight goat. No. no, what it means is what his impact was. They've got a very specific impact in a certain way. That is more relevant to me than the greatest of all time because a very looping term like that doesn't really make sense. I feel it. No, it, I agree. Are you to say GSP, John Jones, and McGregor, and all these other people are they are the same level? And you say no, they're very different individuals for different reasons. Again, there's it doesn't make sense. It's like the whole conversation on what animal could you beat? What's the biggest animal joke you could beat up? It doesn't make sense. Unless you're going to go and like, fight a fucking giraffe or something. Like, I don't really know how you're going to test these things. Who, who's going to win a lion or a shark? All right, fucking, um, was it Hicks when he says that thing? Oh, in the water, <laughs> the, the lion is nothing. I'm a shark and a sat in the other. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> and the words of you know, the camper, if my grandma had wheels, she'd be a bike. And there we go. We'll leave it there, my friend. Um, so quick one for everyone if you liked our live show available <laughs> on my um instagram fisticuffs underscore podcast be sure to let us know we'll do get some more of those in again i really enjoyed doing it and i know you did as well casting again a bit more interactive yeah sort of ad hoc sort of q a stuff we might do it that way around actually quite a nice way of a, like a weekly sort of q a job depending on availability because again you're yeah. globetrotting um anything for you to leave us on um, no, nothing really, man. Just really enjoyed it. Um, the the live show was great that we did together. I really enjoyed that and definitely look forward to doing more of them. Awesome. Again, guys, take care, stay safe. And any topics you want us to, any topics you want us to cover, drop us a comment on our Fisticuffs underscore podcast and we'll be sure to mention it on the next show.